Welcome to Fast Growth Stories, the straight-talking guide for entrepreneurs who want to grow quickly and secure funding. Brought to you by EHE, where entrepreneurs help entrepreneurs. Hi everybody, welcome back to another episode of Fast Growth Stories. I'm delighted that we've got somebody from the investment circle with us today sharing more insights and tips and advice to help find a secure investment. I'm joined by Kieran Mehta from Mercia. Hi Kieran, how are you? Very good, thank you. You? Good, yeah, good, thank you. Yeah, enjoying the weather, I think. Hopefully it'll still be sunny by the time this comes out. So hopefully everyone's in a in a good mood and ready for some great advice and insight. You can tell us about all things investment. Before we start, it would be good to get a bit of an intro about Mercy, but it'd be great to get a bit of an intro about yourself, Kieran, if you don't mind, just your role and, and sort of your potted career journey to date. Yeah, definitely. I'll, I'll maybe start with Mercia because that's probably a little bit of a, of a quick story. So yeah, in terms of Mercia, in particular our ventures part of the business, we do investments from seed through to series A. We are sector agnostic, but like many VC investors, a lot of the companies that we get involved in tend to be either technology or life sciences focused, not exclusively, but as I say, a lot of what we do falls into one of those two camps. And then in terms of my particular role within Mercia, I sit in the investment team in our early stage ventures team, really looking at doing investments into kind of, again, seed to maybe early series A businesses that are looking to raise anywhere between half a million pounds and two million pounds. So not necessarily looking at companies that are at that sort of series A mark, not looking at the companies that are really, really early stage trying to get involved in that sweet spot in the middle where companies got products, got some really commercial traction and are, and are really looking to scale. In terms of my background, I've been at Mercia nearly three years now, invested into I think 10 or 11 different companies across, again, sort of various stages and, and different sectors. Most of my portfolio has got some tech angle to it and a big chunk of it is, is software, albeit there's a few hardware deals thrown in there as well. Prior to Mercia, I spent three years working for a real estate fund. So pretty similar in terms of the nuts and bolts of doing a deal and working with founders and sitting on boards, all that other good stuff, but a very different asset class and very much enjoy the more fast paced nature of early stage tech businesses than what was a slightly more steady state industry in the real estate days. Bro, thank you very much. And I know that you're very active on LinkedIn, which we'll talk about in a minute. And you've, you've got lots of advice. Just sort of before we go through kind of the receiving a pitch deck and advice to founders, I just wanted to pick up around the early stage piece. And you mentioned kind of that half mil to, to two million mark, obviously looking for for traction. That seems to be a real sweet spot at the moment, particularly kind of Manchester Northwest base of lots of businesses looking for funding. I just wondered if you could elaborate a little bit more about what you would expect to see at that level in terms of seed, traction, MVP, recurring revenue, that type of thing. Yeah, that's a really interesting question because there's definitely no exact science with it. So the the way we think about it is pretty much exactly as, as I've explained that you know it's looking for some level of commercial traction. So it's not going to be pure product market fit where you know you've just got this conveyor belt of customers coming through that are converting at a regular cadence. But typically having something that as investors we can hang our hat on and say, yes, that you know that there is definitely a market need for this. 
So if it's like a pure execution software-led deal, we kind of tend to think of that as in and around 250K of recurring revenue. Now, sometimes it's more, sometimes it's less. And as I say, it's a lot more nuanced than that. And then on the kind of hardware and enabling tech side, actually, you probably won't have much, if any, revenue, but you might have letters of intent. You might have some prospects that have almost kind of confirmed to you, we are going to purchase at this stage. We're happy to speak to the investors that you're talking to. So there's different ways in which we can get comfortable with that. Like I said, the, the easiest barometer is that 200, 250K ARR number, but I certainly wouldn't say if it was less than that, it's a straight no. It's just then how do we find different creative ways to think about evidence in that, that there is a huge market need for, for what someone's doing. Brill, thank you for, for that. And I know there isn't an exact science to it, but it is something that kind of comes up a lot, isn't it? So it's it's great to get a bit more clarity around that. Obviously, Pitch Deck is probably the first portal call. I presume you're the one receiving the decks and, and reviewing them, the good and the bad. I just wondered if you could tell us a little bit about what stands out to you or what would be a complete turn off and a, and a no-no from a first glance point of view and I suppose how many and I just wonder sort of how many do you get on average a week or a month do you know yeah lots of good questions in there so I think the first one to to start on is I think I probably see between 100 and 150 pitch decks in most years so quite a high volume of that and then you know probably doing two three maybe four deals so on average I reckon it's around two percent of the deals that I personally receive that then end up translating to an investment or an investment that I've led myself from, from Mercia. Obviously that not necessarily all of those businesses will not get funded. Some will get funded clearly by different investors for an array of reasons. But yeah, the kind of success rate from a pitch deck that lands on my desk through to an investment is about 2%. And whilst I've not got any kind of empirical data wider than that, I, I very much believe that, that that's the kind of case across most of the team internally and then, and then equally across the industry. So. That's probably quite hard for, for founders to hear. Obviously, there's there's a lot of time and effort that's spent in curating pitch decks and, and probably a bit of frustration that it doesn't always get to the successful outcome. I think there are a few really basic kind of hygiene factors. So that, you know, most funds will have a tick list of stage, sector, geographic location, check size, all that other stuff. And the pitch deck's a great place to start with that. So ultimately, if you're a business that's raising hundred million pounds probably don't want to be speaking to me. Similarly, if you're looking at raising 10,000 pounds, then again, I'm, I'm probably not the person to help you with that. So that's kind of one aspect of what we've qualified and qualify out. And then the second piece is really probably the more important bit around the kind of commercial view of the business. So ultimately, what is the product? What does it do? What stage is the company up to? Why is this a particular management team that can go out and and solve the problem that's in front of them. And ultimately, kind of how big is the market opportunity? Because I'm sure we'll probably touch on this later that, you know, given the success rate of early stage businesses, we, we need the companies that we're backing to be able to, on success, generate a material level of, of return. So in terms of kind of a few particular hints and tips on on pitch decks, for me, the, the kind of best, the, the advice I always give is the way I would think about it if I was a founder, and ultimately what I like seeing is just having a really strong value proposition up front, you know, typically slide two and by slide two, I mean the slide after the front page, which really, you know, just a one-liner of what your value is as a business to your customers. 
And different you know, different businesses might have, you know, mission statement or objectives that they work to. But I always think for that value proposition, it should be something that's really cold, hard facts. And it's typically addressed in, it's not quite put in such blunt terms, but either we help our customers generate X amount of extra revenue or we save our customers Y amount of costs, typically because because the software is doing something that, that may have been done by by people historically. You know, and I think just in terms of grabbing and capturing an investor's attention, something that's just got that front and central is, is a good place to start. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. I think it's music to my ears. Obviously, from a, from a marketing background, I think if you don't have your value proposition and your why, I just think it's a really murky road you're going to go down because fundamentally everything goes back to the value propositions. If it's not easy to answer that question around what it is that you do and what what are you tangibly saving or the benefits, then the rest of it becomes a bit less relevant really, doesn't it? So really interesting. From a, a kind of a hard no point of view or anything that you don't like to see, is there anything that, that springs to mind? Yeah, so it's probably not too relevant for this conversation in terms of just certain things that that we don't do. Some of the funds that we invest in have got particular criteria about either sector or stage or other stuff. But in parking that, I'm just thinking of more kind of what do we not like from a commercial perspective. One of the things that I'm probably a little bit unique in this, but I actually don't like a competitor side that's got ticks in all of your boxes and it's not got a single cross because I actually find that but when a business presents, I understand why they do it because, you know, it's a short pitch deck and you typically want to share all the good news and less of the bad. But I actually find it quite refreshing and there's probably probably single digit percentile where you get it in a deck where there's a few crosses. And actually, I always think there is no solution that's perfect for the whole market, but there is definitely solutions that are perfect for a subsector of it. And by having a few crosses, you're almost saying to your investors, I fully understand the market. This is the niche that I'm going after. This is why I think I can dominate in this niche. And the other bit, actually, I'm not too bothered about that because that's not my core focus right now. That doesn't mean don't take a call with someone if the deck has got all ticks in, but that's definitely a way that I personally think it's great for, for founders to, to stand out and do something a little bit different. There's a few pitch decks that I see that are probably too long. And the best advice that I'd give founders on that is pitch deck is, in my view, a tool to get you a conversation. It's not necessarily a tool to secure investment. It's about sort of getting to that next stage. So don't try and cram everything in it. You know, you don't need to tell me about the product architecture and go down to the kind of empty detail in terms of how everything works. Keep it quite high level, keep it relatively short, but get those few key bits in which she says, what's my value proposition? Why have I got a team that are going to go out and execute this business? How big's the market opportunity? And another Big, big positive identities where there's a really thought out exit analysis in terms of this is where I see the company getting to at this scale. I think I could be interested, but I could be interested to XYZ acquirers. And this is the strategic reasons why, why it could be of interest. So yeah, just almost walking people through in a very succinct way. Well, thank you. It's funny, actually, we've had a few different investors on there, but no one's really touched upon wanting to see anything around exit strategy so that's really useful and I totally understand what you're saying around the competitor analysis because what it shows is confidence doesn't it it shows that you know your value proposition and you're really confident about your your segments and, and where you fit in that that marketplace that does make sense to me and so once you've kind of seen something and and you think you know it's of interest what's the next steps for Mercia and what would the founder then need to kind of get ready for in terms of conversations 
Yeah, so it's it's different. It doesn't always follow the same route in terms of the very front end. It depends whether it's a sector that usually the person that's picking the deal up knows or not. So, you know, there's I think there's 30, 40 or something like that in the in the investment team. And it's very rare that your deck's gonna land on the desk with someone that's the absolute sector expert. So what we do like to do is at the first stage, just share thoughts internally. So for the team I sit in, the way we usually do that is as a very quick sort of two-page document that we fill in. It gives us a very high level kind of tool for a discussion. So what's the products? What's the market? Who are the management team? Again, some of the values for exit and what's the proposed structure of the deal. And we sort of get together usually on a Wednesday afternoon to kick the tires on that. The main thing that often comes out of it is someone will have either seen something similar or they'll have a portfolio company that does that, or they'll know a non-exec director that they've worked with that's got some experience in that space just to help us formulate a better view. So that's step one, you usually pretty quickly, you know, within a week, you'll get a kind of yes, no, maybe. And if it's a maybe, an understanding as to why it's a maybe. So that happens up front. We then have a presentation to our investment committee that's usually about week three, week four of the process. So we've done a bit more desktop DD, typically come out and ideally met management face-to-face, got to know them, understand a bit more about where they want to take the business. Um, and then I say there's that presentation back to our investment committee. And I always kind of explain that to founders as it's the sort of mortgaging principle stage where you, when you fill in a mortgaging principle, you know, as long as you've not lied on that document and everything that you said can be substantiated, actually there's a very high chance that you will then either get house or, or in our case, get the investment. And then we get into a process of due diligence, which is very different depending upon the nature of the deal, size, check size, stage, everything else. But it typically incorporates speaking to some more non-exec directors that we know to help us formulate a view on the business from industry, because we are generalists by trade. It may include some financial due diligence, depending on what your financial model looks like. We almost always like to speak to a handful of customers because ultimately it's great that management can tell us, you know, what the business is and what, you know, what they think the value proposition is, but no one will give you the an honest answer on that quite as much as a, as a customer will. So we like to do that. And then again, depending on the, the deal, there might be a bit of tech or cyber due diligence. Then we would go and take that back to our investment committee. And assuming X plus Y equals E and the diligence is supportive of, of our initial view, then, then usually that, that gets approved and, and we're good to go. Obviously there's, there's legal docs and all that other stuff that, that tends the to be in, uh, <laughs> in the background. Yeah. Very rich there. <laughs> well, I would say that, but I'm sure there's somebody out there that thinks that's not boring, but it's the less exciting bit, isn't it? I suppose. That's really interesting. One bit you've not mentioned is just around kind of personality fit. So can you work with the founder and the team? Is that something you consider? Yeah, it, it, it is. So there's a there's a stat out there and I'm not to be fair, I've never checked whether it's true or not. Someone told it to me and it's maybe ended up as a as a bit of a myth, but it it fits the analogy nonetheless that in the US the average length of a marriage is shorter than the average time it takes from a venture backed business to get to a successful outcome. So I think when you when you have that in the back of your mind, that's quite telling in terms of one, you know, who who I want to work with as an investor, but equally who the founders want to work with. So there definitely does need to be that fit. I think fit is less around, you know, kind of personality and is it definitely someone that you could go for lunch with or go for a beer or a coffee with. That that side of it's a little bit less important, but it's really do you have a shared vision for the business and the steps that you're going to take to get there? Classic one might be, 
you'll see some founders that think actually if I can scale a business to a couple of million pounds worth of value, there's me and a co-founder, you know, and I'm, and I'm going to sell this business for three, four million quid. That could be a great outcome, but you'll probably find most investors don't want to go on that journey because it doesn't quite fit with their kind of returns targets. So that's just like one example of it, but ensuring that you've got alignment is is absolutely key. And ultimately most of my portfolio companies, you've got a monthly board meeting. So that's 12 touch points as a minimum. You'll speak outside of that. There will undoubtedly be things that go wrong on the journey. There'll be times that the founder picks up the phone at eight, nine, 10 o'clock at night to, to try and unlock a problem. And I think having at least a shared view, and it's probably less about getting on. It's more, I think, having a mutual respect of each other and a kind of professional understanding of, of how you both work. Yeah, thank you. And then in terms of, I was going to touch on, you know, when things might not go to plan because they don't, you know, I think we have to be honest about that. Even when you've secured investment, there's always things that, that might happen or crop up. What's Mercia's role then? And what kind of investor would you say Mercia is? How hands-on are you with supporting founders or working with founders to kind of overcome some of those challenges? Yeah, so we're very hands-on strategically and we're completely hands-off operationally. So, you know, if there's challenges where you've got a delay in your dev team, don't expect any of us to to try and learn code because that's definitely not our skill set, nor is it, in our view, a, a place where an investor should be, should be getting involved. But what we do get is quite a lot of experience in terms of seeing various go-to-market strategies. You know, we understand a lot that's going on in the industry. So at the moment, you know, there's a theme coming back that SaaS is so much harder to sell now than it ever has been given the current economic conditions. And actually there's been quite a few examples already of how we can share best practice on how other portfolio companies have tweaked their sales process to actually get the time to bow you down and continue to, to close sales. So we can certainly support on the strategic side. You know, ultimately a venture-backed business will typically have 15 to 18 months cash runway. So there does come a point in that journey where an investor has got to then make a second decision that says, you know, I really support this business. I support the founder. I built into, I bought into what the business is doing. But ultimately, it then becomes a separate decision to say, do we want to continue and reinvest as an investor? And we certainly like to do that. We've got a conveyor belt of different funds that we can plug in. But sometimes you have to have a really difficult discussion that says, these were the expectations that that you guys have come out and raised money against. You told us the business would be at X position. And if there has been significant underperformance on that, there will be times where it won't be sensible for, for us to reinvest. And I think, you know, through whether it's an easy conversation where you're helping refine God's market strategy or a difficult conversation where you say, actually, I'm not sure if, you know, my investment committee is going to sign up to put in more capital in this business. I think the, the only thing you can do to really help and support is be very transparent, be very honest and ensure that there's no surprises. So I always like to, have that constant every three months, like this is where we're expecting the business to get to. And that might refine for a million and one reasons. Things could be quicker and things could very often be slower. But yeah, I think, you know, just remembering that there's people behind the business, you know, ensuring that it's, you know, you're treating people and working with people in the way you want to. And when you have to have difficult conversations, doing it in the right way and doing it as early as possible. And you mentioned something before around selling SaaS at the moment being a bit more difficult. I just wondered from a kind of, a landscape point of view, what other trends are you seeing or what else is becoming more challenging? Anything founders need to be aware of? Yeah. So I think in terms of from kind of companies outwards into their market, I think that is the, the biggest takeaway that sales are getting harder. People are no, you know, in 
the high times a couple of years back where, where the economy was booming, people were buying a lot of nice to have solutions. And now I think it really is. This is why we talk about a value proposition so much. It is a, is it need to have? Cause if not, it's going to be difficult to get sales agreed. So that's the, I guess, external landscape thinking a bit closer to home in terms of fundraising, you know, fundraising has clearly got a lot harder. So I think deals are taking a lot longer to get done. Certainly at the later stages tends to be a lot more rigorous due diligence than, than what there was potentially previously. So be out there, be on the front foot, have a few different contingency plans is definitely needed. And again, I'm, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but just going back to that, have that strong value proposition and ensure all stakeholders, whether that be customers, investors, board, et cetera, they're, they're all bought into that. Thank you. And just finally, Kieran, in terms of advice that you would, anything else, advice you give to founders, whether it's around investment or anything else at all, is there anything that you'd you'd share for anybody that's about to perhaps embark on their investment journey or founder journey? Yeah, you probably noticed this on a few of my LinkedIn posts that one of the phrases I quite like is, is just keep swinging. You know, as I said to at the start of the call, you know, 2% of the deals that I see will typically transition to an investment. You know, sometimes that's because venture investment isn't right for a given business. Sometimes it's wrong timing, it's wrong stage, it doesn't fit with our criteria. But ultimately, you're going to get a lot of no's in this, in this environment. And I think whilst 2% of businesses get an investment, probably somewhere between 10 and 20% of the businesses I meet are absolutely unbelievable businesses, but they just don't fit for a particular reason. So yeah, don't, don't get your head down. Don't get disheartened. Take feedback on and ask for feedback as much as you can. But ultimately, I think there's a big part of, of the kind of building a venture business that's a war of attrition. So yeah, just, just keep going and, and don't let any stumbles not keep you down. Brilliant. Thank you. And you, you just reminded me to mention your LinkedIn because you do share loads and loads of advice and insights just into the kind of the wider investment market, but also from a, from a personal point of view. So anybody that is listening and wants to know a little bit more about kind of some of your thoughts and insights, it'd be great. We'll link your LinkedIn page below. What's the best way of people getting in touch with you if they want to send a deck or ask any questions or get in touch with Mercia? What's the, the best way of contact? Yeah, so Mercy's got a general inbox that you can send decks to if you want to do it that way. I think that's on our website. And then, yeah, personally, I'm pretty responsive on, on LinkedIn. So that's, yeah, that's probably the easiest way to to get in touch. Just, just connect and, and drop me a message. Brill, I'm just looking at the Mercy website now and there is a contact us form on there so people can, can get in touch either way. That was brilliant. Thank you so much, Kieran. Really, really useful stuff. I hope everybody else has found it as useful as I have. I think I'll remember that, the 2% and the US marriage stat as well. So now I'm going to share that, whether it's true or not. This is how rumours start, don't they, or misinformation. So thank you for that. Thanks, everybody. I hope you've enjoyed it. We will link all the Mercia and Kieran's LinkedIn channels below. Do stay tuned next week for another podcast from Fast Growth Stories, and I'll speak to you all next week. Thank you, Kieran. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Fast Growth Stories. Please remember to subscribe and review and visit the ehe.team website for the latest on fast growth and funding.